I just, I love to, I love to come together into God's Word. And if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and take it, uh, electronic, paper, leather, otherwise. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Maybe some of you have papyrus or a scroll or something. Go ahead and unscroll that thing. And uh, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 22, and be ready to read there here in a little bit. Uh, as, as, as you, many of you well know, the subject of love is thrown around a lot during this time of year, right? We're coming up on, what is it, the 14th of, of February is always Valentine's Day. And so around this time of year, you hear the subject in song and in verse, you hear a lot about, a, a lot about love. Um, uh, I gotta, I'm going to tell you a quick story. I, I, this is going to be bragging, all right? I'm just telling you right up front. One year, my wife was, her parents were missionaries for many years in Costa Rica. One year, she went to uh, Mexico. They were in Mex Mexico missionaries as well and, and for a time. And she went down there, and I sent $10 ahead. I sent $10 ahead uh, to my father-in-law because she was going to be down there on Valentine's Day. I said, Dad, I want you to buy as many roses as you can get with these $10. He did. Where they lived was actually, if you buy a rose, they're grown in that same area. My father-in-law, with $10, bought her seven dozen long stem roses. <laughs> so go ahead and top that. Try it. Just try it. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured, hey, that's enough roses for a lifetime. I haven't bought her a rose since then. No, that's not true. That's not true. She's going to be with me this. Valentine's Day, right? Valentine's Day coming up, and the word love is often associated with, with Valentine's Day. About 62% of Americans celebrate Valentine's Day in some way. 62%. Pretty high. 180 million Valentine's cards are exchanged every year just in the United States. Get this one. Some of the, now, this will excite you. 58 million pounds of chocolate are purchased during Valentine's week. Can I get a witness? All right. 58 million pounds. That's a lot of chocolate. This one. 50, this is not good, 53%, guys, listen to this, this is important, 53% of women say they would end their relationship if they did not receive something for Valentine's Day. Now, that's an ominous number, I'll tell you what. So guys, it's four days, you get ready, all right? If you're not signed up, get signed up, we talk about love, right? We talk about love around Valentine's Day. And love is a subject. I mean, you, you, you pick out, there's a lot of songs with love in the title. A lot of them not very good, but there's a lot of poetry, a lot of cards, Valentine's and otherwise, where we use the word love. But today and next Sunday on the Sundays on either side of Valentine's Day, we're going to see what Jesus said about love. That's pretty important, isn't it? What Jesus said about love. Jesus said a lot about love. Jesus was not only loving, Jesus said a lot about love. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you right up front, he said more about love than we have time to, to so we're going to have to pick and choose, but he said a lot about love. You're going to find 
You're going to find this week, next week, and as you read the Bible, as you're continuing to walk that journey, as you're continuing to engage God in His Word, you're going to come across the word love. And, and, and here's a little insight for you, some, some, some maybe a, a, an interesting fact, far more important than the, some of the statistics that I told you. The word love, when it is used in the Bible, is, is often used more as a verb than as a noun particularly in the New Testament, that, that the word love is more verb than noun. Uh, in other words, that, that when it speaks of God's love, it, it is not just something that is, but it is something that does. Now, that's important. Love is not just something that is, I am in love, but it is something that does. Now, th- th- and that's big. That's big. Now, I love, I love love. I love the wonderful feeling that comes with love. But I really like to see love demonstrated. And we see that in God's Word. It's not just something that is, but something that does. That God's love, specifically God's love, has more to do with actions than it does feelings. Now, please understand, I'm not putting down feelings. I think, I think feelings of of, of love are, are, are wonderful. Boy, some of you remember. It's been a while, but, but, but you, you remember that first time that you spent, started spending time with that person and something was, was in your heart and you felt, boy, those wonderful emotions that accompany that. Sometimes a lot of dramatic emotions, but those wonderful emotions. Uh, you love the feelings of love. But we're talking more about actions It's important to to know and to receive what Jesus said about love because, I'll tell you what, maybe you've noticed this world is lacking in a lot of love. Have you noticed that? Of course you have. I mean, if, if hatred or anger or division is the opposite of love, well, we see a lot of that, but we see a world that is desperate for, that is famished for true, demonstrable, demonstrated love. So, in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 22, um, a, a, man was, a man who belonged to a religious order called the Pharisees came to Jesus. Pharisees. Um, now, let me just explain here. The Pharisees, this religious order, this, this collective of, of people who were very religious, who were very knowledgeable of the Mosaic law, the, the, the Jewish traditions, they were very angry at Jesus. Now, this is a ways into Jesus' public ministry. And they were very angry at Jesus because he threatened their their systems and he threatened their power. Uh, You know, I've often thought when when you see rage in a person, it's not oftentimes, it's not simply because they had a bad day, but because their power is being threatened. And this is what's happening here. The, the, uh, The Pharisees were being threatened by the things that Jesus was saying and the things that Jesus was doing. You see, Jesus' words and his actions, right? Not just what he said, but what he did. Jesus' words and actions had demonstrated that he cared deeply about people. 
So if Jesus is walking along and he encounters a person who's, who's diseased or injured in some way, and, and it happens to be on the Sabbath day, Jesus isn't going to wait until the next day or a couple of days later to heal the person. That was immaterial. He was going to heal the person even if it was on the Sabbath. Because why? Because people were more important than these, these traditions. They weren't necessarily bad traditions. It's just that people were more important. So if Jesus encounters a person who's, who's dead uh, and, and they're carrying the coffin nearby and good Jews were never supposed to touch a dead person, if at all possible, except maybe those who were carrying them because it made them unclean. It didn't matter to Jesus. He touched the coffin, it said, and a man was raised from the dead. And some, some of these Pharisees, I'm sure, thought, how can he do that? Now he's ceremonially unclean and he has certain restrictions now. But Jesus didn't care because he saw a dead man and he wanted to bring him to life. Or Jesus saw a person who was leprous, right? This horrible skin condition that, that desensitized them and made them so they didn't feel and so they would be maimed and injured and scarred. And, and, and they knew, they understood that there was some degree of of uh, uh, contagion to it, and so you were never supposed to touch a, a person with leprosy, but the Bible on a couple of occasions, how it speaks about not only Jesus speaking with them or associating with them, but actually even on one particular occasion touching them, pro- probably more. And, and they got upset, I'm sure, but it didn't matter to Jesus because he really cared about people, and so these Pharisees see this time and again where where people, the, the relationship was, was much more important than the close adherence to these laws, often laws that they had put on that God had never put on them. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees and other groups like them, demonstrated by their words and by their actions that they were just checking religious boxes, right? Okay, we... We wanted a certain way and, oh, check the box. Okay, you, you did everything according to the Mosaic Law. Yep, that's what's paramount. That's what's most important. And to the, to the Pharisees, it was all about rules and regulations and systems. And the needs, the legitimate deep needs of people were rather immaterial. And, and so they're angry at Jesus. So the Pharisee approached Jesus and he said this. This is verse 36 of Matthew 22. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now you have to understand we we can surmise this very safely that really what this person wanted to do was trick Jesus. We, We surmise that if Jesus then gives an answer, then the person would be able to go and tell other people, and say, well, Jesus said this is the important one, so therefore he regards the other ones as unimportant. It was a trick question. They often tried to do this on a number of occasions, tried to get him into a a theological corner from which he could not remove himself. Of course, that wasn't going to happen, but this was the attempt at it. So again, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, uh, the beginning of Jesus' reply was from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and that's, that's an Old Testament book of the Bible. Um, it's hundreds of years old at this point, very it's true scripture, powerful scripture, 
And uh, Jesus' the beginning of his reply was uh, an Old Testament reference that every Pharisee knew very, very well. Um, the, the, uh, the, the, the Pharisees would have memorized this even years before, back when they were just little Pharisees. They would, they would memorize this, and it was very important to them. Uh, and so when Jesus replied, he quoted from this this piece of scripture that follows what's called the Shema, which to the Jewish people, that was like their very core belief system. Verse 37, Jesus said this, and it's a quote from Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's brief, let me read it again. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and then he added this, this is the first and the greatest commandment. Now you can, you can just imagine these people, they're, they're listening to him and, and not only the Pharisees but other people, his disciples and others are around and they're listening to this and and, and, and they're, they're going, oh, we know that scripture. We know that. It's very, very, it's, it's repeated several times. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all of your, your mind. And, and if Jesus would have stopped there, if he would have stopped right there, there would have been very little controversy. Because, again, who can argue with that? This is, this is like one of the grand statements from, from their belief system. If Jesus would have stopped there, it would have been fine. But Jesus didn't stop because there's no pause here. Without breaking verbal stride, Jesus continued with verse 39. And he said this, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Again, here it is brief. And the second is like it, Jesus immediately said after that previous statement, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now I want you to notice, and it's on the screen behind me or it's in the Bible in front of you, I want you to notice that first line there on that, on that second statement that says, and the second is like it. It's, it's, it's easy to overlook it because we want to get right to the meat of it, but don't overlook that phrase. It's very important because when Jesus said that, when Jesus, and the second is like it, he elevated the importance of loving other people. He elevated the importance of loving other people. It's not simply about loving God, but it's loving other people. And from that time, from that, that statement that he made here, boy, these Pharisees, they just didn't see it coming. You know, Jesus never passed up an opportunity to teach something deep. <laughs> this guy comes, he's thinking he's going to trick Jesus into something, and he asks a question, and Jesus let him have it in, in the most wonderful, profound way. And now, 2,000 years later, we're still looking at this and going, thank you, Jesus, you said what you did. And from that time until this time, from that time until this time, people could not simply just check the box and say, well, we show our love for God by following the rules. From that time to this time, we could, we could never just say, well, I, I love God and that's enough for me. From that time to this time, we could not simply say, well, um, it's all about my relationship with him, and that's the only thing that's important. Now, that's paramount. It is the most important. 
It's primary. That's why he mentioned it first. But no longer could they say that our love for others is immaterial, unnecessary, unimportant. Jesus said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and all of the prophets hang on those. Jesus just brought it right down to those two basics. Then and now, Jesus declared that loving the people around us is no longer optional. I need to say that again. Beginning then, continuing to now, Jesus said that loving the people around us is no longer optional. You see, the Pharisees, I think at this time particularly, they believed that it was optional, that it was, that it was all about their, their, their love for God, but Jesus said, no, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That how we love them is an expression of our love for him. That how we love other people, how we, remember actions more than words, how we demonstrate, how we demonstrate our love toward other people is is a reflection, is an outgrowth, is an expression of our love for God. Now, even as I say that, you know, I say, well, and you read this, you read it again, and you're probably familiar with it. It's, it's really two of the really core things that we, that we do here, love God and love people, the first two parts of that. It comes right from here, from Matthew chapter 22, but, but maybe you're, even though you're familiar with it, you're thinking, yeah, but love Love the people around me. Neighbor isn't just the person who lives next to me at your address, but it's the people with whom we interact with. Believer, unbeliever, it, doesn't, it really doesn't qualify here. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, but you don't know some of the people I know because some of the people I know are virtually unlovable. Don't raise your hands, but you know somebody like that. Do you know someone that when you read that and you go, yeah, but yeah, but that person is really, really hard to love. You know what? I've known people like that. In fact, they might even be the same people that you know. <laughs> and, and we'll talk later. I'll be in the foyer and we can compare notes and we can cross names and go, oh, oh, well, of course that person. No, we won't do that. Every one of us here this morning have encountered, wouldn't it be nice if it were one, at least one person who you just go, boy, if we were going on a road trip together, I would leave them at the curb. Right? If I were the last, if that person and I were the last persons in this world, boy, it wouldn't be very long and I would be the last person in this world, if you know what I mean. Right? And we, we encounter people like that. Maybe it's something in their personality. Maybe they're so different from us, or maybe they're just like us, and that's what annoys us so much about them. Or, um, uh, or, or it's, it's, it's maybe uh, the things that they say or the things that they do or the insensitivity that they demonstrate, or maybe it's, maybe it's something about their looks or their hygiene or something, and you just go, ah, man, I get that. I hear what Jesus is saying, but I just find that person and it's usually something in their personality that is just so grating, so obnoxious, so irritating that, boy, I have a hard time loving that person, demonstrating love for that, for that person. 
We're quick, aren't we? We're quick, aren't we, to qualify our love. Y'all, some people are very easy to love. Oh, my goodness, some people are so easy to love. And then others, not so much, and we qualify. Well, I, I would love that person if. We become very adept at explaining why we don't need to love some people because of what they did to us or what they did to a loved one of ours, uh, because of what they represent or because of, of the stand that they have taken. And we find some people just extremely difficult to ever demonstrate love to them. It would be like this. Well, are, are there some people that if you're driving down the road and, and you saw that they at an approach were we're, we're, we're stuck in a, like a snow drift or something. I know this is hard to conceive, but just work with me, all right? Um, but, but you saw them, and, and they got hung up and high-centered a little bit, and, 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 and that person, you know, that person, you know, that person, you see them, and you know that all it takes is just a little bit. You get out, you could push them, and they would be free, but, but you see them, and you go, uh-uh, they're on their own, and you just keep driving. There are some people that to demonstrate love, even that small act of love, or to see them, if, if you hear that they're hurting or that they're, they've lost a loved one or that they've contracted some disease, and you're going, there's something in you. There have been times in my life where I heard somebody that I really had a hard time loving and something bad happened to them, and my can I say this? It doesn't sound very pastoral, but I'm going to say it. There was a part of me that goes, well, they deserved it. Or they had it coming. Rascal that they are. We'll just let them be there. I've, I've been there. Some people are hard to love. But there are no qualifiers here. Here in Matthew 22, Jesus, there's, there's no, there's, there's, there's no qualifiers there. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, we love ourselves. We're to love them. Now, please understand, I am not this morning, and, and, and whenever I touch on this, oftentimes people will call me or they'll write me and they'll say something like, um, uh, you don't know what that person has done to me or what they did to a loved one of mine. Please understand, I am not discounting, I am not dismissing the painful uh, and the damaging things that some people may have done to you or said to you or done or said to someone close to you. Let me tell you, I'll, I'll acknowledge it was painful, it was damaging, it may have happened days ago or decades ago, but it's still a little bit raw and it's painful. I, I, I'm not dismissing that. But I've also found that I've also found that we can make excuses or we can make progress, but we cannot do both. We can, we can, we can make excuses and say, well, you don't know what that person did, or you don't know what that person represents, or you don't know how they hurt me. And we can make excuses, or by God's grace, we can make progress, but we cannot do both. 
And I wonder how many times are there people in our world, let's bring it down a little bit narrower, how many people in our state, no, let's bring it, how many people in this room have a hard time loving someone because of what they said, did, didn't say, didn't do? And the God of all grace who gives us the ability to forgive as we have been forgiven, fails to do so and never progresses because they keep bringing up the excuse and saying, yeah, but you don't understand what they did. Oh, it's hard. Jesus says, love your neighbors yourself. If Jesus calls us to love others, then he also gives us the means to do so. Jesus never gave us a command, a directive, anything. He never gave us that without also giving us the means to accomplish it. I, I don't know the specifics on this. I don't know the names. I don't know how long ago it was, but it was, it was within the last dozen years. I know this story because I heard it on the radio. I was one evening working in my garage and I had Christian radio on and they were interviewing this person. Let me give you the quick part of her story, their story. A husband and wife, they had, as I recall, three children. By the way, if you know the specifics of this, please see me afterwards or contact me. I want to know more about this. But I have the basics down. This woman and her husband, uh, as I recall, early 30s, mid 30s, they had three children who were uh, uh, in, in high elementary or middle school years. One day or one night, I'm not sure which, the husband was gone and somebody broke into a person that they did not know, broke into the house and... Uh, raped the mother. The person got away, was later apprehended, was charged, was, went to trial, was imprisoned, resulting from the rape was a pregnancy. She conceived. They had, and at that time, had a relationship with Jesus Christ. and So finding out that not only the trauma of that rape, but that she was now expecting a child, and they thought that, that was, they were done at that point. There was a child within her from such a traumatic episode. Um, knew firmly believed, and I commend them for it, that that child was nevertheless very precious and there's a sacredness to that child and so they did not abort the child. Others encouraged them to do so. Brought the child to, to term and of course while the baby grew, God was still dealing with all of the trauma, the psychological trauma that comes from something like that. 
um, and God began to do a work in her heart, not just in her body, but in her heart. And all of this was going to trial, and she began to pray for that, the perpetrator, the rapist, began to pray for him. God began to do something in her heart. She prayed for her baby. I say this not um, with wrong motive, but uh, she had the baby and they chose to, she and her husband chose to raise that child as their own. There was a complication that the, the man who, who impregnated her, uh, who raped her, was of a, of a different ethnicity. And the reason that I mention that is they knew that by keeping this child and raising this child for the rest of their lives, they would be answering questions because this child looked very, very different than their own, than the ones that they had conceived together as husband and wife. And she went on in this amazing, jaw-dropping testimony to share how um, she forgave the person who raped her, prayed for the person, and I don't recall exactly what happened to him but how God did a work in her heart. <laughs> By this time, I'm done working in my garage. I'm just like, wow, I'm almost on the floor weeping. Impressed by the woman, but amazed at the grace of God. That's the main thing. Because in, in the natural, we go, that's not possible. You can't do that. But in, in the supernatural, by the power of God, you go, I get it. Because only Jesus can do that in a person's heart. Only Jesus can do that in a person's. That is a supernatural thing. People say supernatural things. That's supernatural, and it happened. And it's happened many times. I've heard stories like that. Oh, the specifics are different. I, I understand that. But I've heard examples of that, of, of how God gives us the ability to love someone, and I am hard-pressed to think of someone more unlovable than someone who sexually assaulted me or someone close to me. But God. But God. So there's no, no qualifier no qualifiers in here. And I look at that and we go, oh yeah, well that person who, you know, that person who, who, you know, that neighbor of mine who's just obnoxious or that person that, and I, I, I look at that and I go, well, yeah, you know, some people are harder to love but others, but God can give us grace. And, and, and that my relationship with him my love for him is demonstrated in my love for other people. You see, not only are these two loves, our love for God, loving him with everything in us, and loving, each, uh, loving others as ourselves. not only are these two loves sequential, right? We have this relationship with God and it affects our relationship with others. Not only are they sequential, but they have an effect on each other. How I love other people is, it, it, it changes how I love God. How I love God changes how I love other people. It's not just sequential, but they're relational. I have to tell you, and 
I'm not saying it's just because, uh, you know, I'm saving money on a card or something. I love my wife more than any other person in this world. I really do. Joni is not a hard person to love. In just a few months, Joni and I will have been married for 29 years. Thank God for that. But let me me say this. The reason I mention that is my love for her is better because of my love for God. I love her different. She's the most, that's that's why I chose her. I love her more than any other person in this world, anyone else. But I love her better because of my love for God. And when I am in right relationship with him, I'm in better relationship with her. Let me say that again. When we are in right relationship, let's broaden it out. When we are in right relationship with God, it affects our relationship with other people. And if we're not in right relationship with God, it affects how we relate and how we love other people. There's a connection. And, and, and we are in dangerous territory when we try and separate the, tr- the two. Our love for God should affect every human relationship around us, every one of them. Even It's easy to love someone very close to you uh, that, that, that is just so compatible, but boy, I tell you, it, it works for those that we don't find very lovable as well. Let me, just, let me just throw something out here regarding marriage for a moment. And I know that this doesn't relate to, to everyone, but it relates to many people here. Regarding marriage, some of you are thinking, some of you are, are thinking, you're sitting there right now and you're thinking with your track record, or with the lousy examples that you have seen in marriage. Maybe you're younger and you've seen some really tough examples of marriage with your track record or with with what the lousy examples that you've seen of marriage. Some of you right now are perhaps wondering if you could ever have a loving and lasting marriage. Some of you are really wondering that. You're wondering that. Maybe Maybe you've never been married or you're not married and you're thinking, Boy, I just don't know if that could ever happen to me. I'll tell you what, um, if you're wondering that, that is not the voice of God. Let me say that again. That is not the voice of God. That is, that is fear and that is doubt. And I'm telling you that if you are in Jesus Christ and that person that you are thinking about marrying is also in Jesus Christ, I'll tell you what, God can do some really amazing things in you and through you. So don't you listen to that voice and say, Oh, I'm just, I'm never going to go there because it's just, I've, I, there's been too much baggage in my life. I'll tell you, that's not grace. God can make all things new. Our love for God is primary. It's foundational. And the beginning, the beginning of any good and lasting and fulfilling human relationship begins right there. So you really want to affect the, the people around you? Come and serve Jesus Christ. Begin loving him. Begin a relationship with him, and I promise you, it will affect every relationship around you. Now remember, I said that in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, love is an action. In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's that's good. But then... In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're talking about demonstrated love. You see that first verse? Jesus said, 
Greater love has no one than this, than that they lay down their life for their friends. But then years later, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says God shows his love for us in that while we were still in our sin, while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus said, you'll never find a greater demonstration of love than if someone gives their lives for you. And Paul, years later, he'd experienced it. He says, even when I was a sinner, Jesus died for me. That's demonstrated love. Do you know that Jesus died for you? Some of you, some of you don't know that. Some of you need to hear that. In fact, some of you may think that is so elementary, it's hardly worth mentioning. Come on, pastor, move on. Yes, I get it. Jesus loves us. Go ahead, that's basic, move on. No, no, you don't understand. There's a lot of people in our world who don't know that. There's a lot of people in our world who feel absolutely unlovable. There are people, perhaps even in this room right now, who are thinking, there's no way that anybody could love me, let alone a perfect God. Well, let me tell you something. I, it's, I, I care about what you feel, but beside what you feel, there is a God who loves you even when you were or are in your sin. He loves you. Let me say it again. I'll get it into your spirit. He loves you. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much he died for you. There's a verse that many of you memorized years ago. It's a great verse to memorize if you haven't. It says, and you can say with me, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God so loved this world. God loved you. Get that in your spirit. God loved you. God loves you. He loves you right where you are. He loves you right now, regardless of how you are. God loves you. God loves you right now. Some of you wonder how God can love you when you've blown it so many times. For others, maybe it was a parent or a spouse or a close friend who didn't demonstrate the love that they should have shown. But don't you project that onto God. Don't you project that onto God. Don't you put that on him. God's love is different. God's love is, 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 is totally selfless. God loves you. Don't equate human love with God's love. God's love is different. The love of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that he looks beyond your external. He looks beyond your appearance. He looks beyond your sin. He looks beyond your past. He looks beyond your present. God loves you right where you are. Every one of us here, every one of us here this morning are broken vessels. Every one of us. We're all in varying stages of bruise and brokenness, but God loves you just as you are. Now, now, some of you are thinking, yeah, but wait a minute. No, listen, he loves you so much, he won't leave you the way you are, but he loves you right now. You don't need to get fixed up before you come to him and 
suddenly he finds you lovable. He loves you in your brokenness. He loves you in your sin. He loves you in your despair. He loves you in your hopelessness. And he loves you so much that he wants to save you, transform you, and change you and not leave you in that place of hopelessness and despair and sin. He changes us. <laughs> I love that story. It's John chapter 4, that woman at the well. I mean, it's just, it's so powerful. She was changed. She was changed. He, 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 he knew about her sin, but he met her right where she was. And she was changed. to finish with this. Again, we're going to, we're going to, this is part one, but we're out of time, folks. And we're going to look at part two next week. And I want you to join us and I want you to bring someone with you because someone else that you know needs to hear this. Maybe God will do a work in, and that person that you can't stand, you're going to, they're going to be, oh, and this might happen too. Uh, God has an amazing way of bringing that person through someone else and they'll be here next week and you're going, oh, I can't believe they're here. Trust me, I know. Listen to this. In fact, it's a prayer. Let's go ahead and put that up here. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19 reads this way. It's a prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Directed by the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying, I want you to know and experience the overwhelming, deep, wide, high love of God so that you will be all he wants you to be. I have one one very simple objective this morning, and that is that when you leave this place today, you will be either reminded or renewed, or you will find out for the first time there is a God in heaven who loves you so much that he gave his son to die for you, even in your sin, so that you will not stay in that place. I want you to know there's a God who loves you right now. He loves you right now. I want to pray with you, and I'd like you to stand. I'm going to ask Lana if you will make your way to the... We're going to close very quietly, but I want to pray for you. I want to pray for... Two requests. 
I want to pray for those who you think God cannot love you. That even with just a small amount of faith that you will say, I I don't see it, I don't understand it, but if Jesus said it, I believe it. And on that small amount of faith that you will leave this place knowing that he loves you. Secondly, I want to pray for those who are having a hard time loving some other person or some persons. I know this from personal experience. I know what it's like to be injured many years ago. I had a very hard time loving someone. I didn't want to love them. I wanted to hurt them. I wanted to see them suffer. But I experienced God's grace and God's power so that in the months following that and to this day, I love that person deeply only because of God's grace and I want to pray for you. So would you bow your heads and if this prayer, you just, you just agree with me in prayer as I, as I come to that part or maybe both parts relate to you, but let me pray for you as we close this morning. Lord Jesus, we stand here in this place as people who have come here today uh, because we want to receive from you, and we have. We've worshiped you, praised you, we've fellowshiped together, we've given and we've received. Now, Lord, would you do a holy work in us so that we leave different than when we came. I pray, Jesus, for those who think that God cannot love them. In their own minds, And perhaps from the mouths of others, they have been told, you are unlovable. But I pray for that person who thinks that God cannot love them. I pray that the lie that they have said or heard, the lie that says, I've done too many things, I've been too bad, and I've hurt too many people, that that voice or those voices will be defeated, and that they will hear this voice from you in their spirit, I love you. So I pray for those who think that God cannot love them. Secondly, Lord, I pray for those who are having a very hard time loving another person or people. And they too have heard a voice, Lord, love them. I can't even bear to think of them. I pray that today you would do a work in their hearts, beginning today. It it may not be completed today, but it will begin today. And just as you did to a woman whose name I will not know until heaven, perhaps, but I know what you did in her heart and in her mind, someone who hurt her and her family so deeply, what you did there, you can do here. So I pray, Jesus, that you would help us love. Help us to understand, Lord, that our love for you is also going to be demonstrated in how we love each other. And how we love each other is going to affect our relationship with you. So, Lord, this I pray. This we pray together. And I thank you. Now, Lord, as we make our way out of this place, as these altars are open, Lord, and maybe you're going to do a deeper work with someone here in these moments ahead. Pray that, but Lord, the demonstration of it will not happen at an altar. It will happen in a job site or at a school or in a home. Uh, So help us, Lord, to love you with everything in us, 
and to love others because you loved us. We pray this. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. These altars are, as always, they're open. God bless you. Go in the presence and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ.